I've wanted to spend a few moments here and uh, I think look at a really good uh, portion of scripture that I think is very applicable uh, to not only the times that we are living in, but also uh, for any time that uh, you might find yourself in. And uh, I would have to say that uh, no doubt, um, whether we're having a pandemic, uh, virus, uh, troubling times, uh, whatever you want to put in there, this world that we live in is a very frightening world. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, if you can think back about this, we were going on about our lives as normal, you know, um, feeling secure, feeling safe, living life, uh, just kind of how we were all doing it. And uh, now it seems all you may see or hear is like these terrifying updates of the coronavirus, you know. Um, now just as a side note, I, I'd encourage you to take a break from all the news for a while and uh, instead pray. Uh, because I think it's important to do that. Now, whether there's a frightening situation or not, sooner or later, all of us will have something in our life that will confront us with, really, it's a harsh reality that we are not as safe and secure uh, as we really portray in our lives. The reality is that every one of us is tempted and we are tempted to fear that's life over the past couple weeks uh, we've been looking at a few things regarding uh, to fear as we learned that we should not fear because well God is in control of everything right he's sovereign he's in control and last week we looked at the fact that we can find peace in a troubled world Today I want to give you a couple things to consider as far as learning how to respond to fear. Learning how to respond to the temptation to fear. I mean, Scripture tells us that we are not supposed to be anxious. We're not supposed to be fearful, right? And so if we are being fearful, if we are being anxious, then that's, that's a sin. Or if we're being tempted to be anxious or being tempted to sin... Uh, in that sense, um, how how should we respond? How should we how should we um, live our lives so that we're not uh, actually engaging in the actual sin of worrying or being fearful? I want to take a look at our text here this morning, and it's found in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number eight, and we're going to be looking at uh, just a few verses here. And I think this is going to be really helpful to you, and uh, I hope that it can, you can gain, glean some things from it uh, that will give you some encouragement here this morning. So Isaiah chapter number 8, and we're going to begin looking in uh, verse number 11. The first thing I want you to see is that there is a wrong way to handle fear. A wrong way to handle fear. Let's read our text here. Isaiah chapter number 8, verse number 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, 
do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, let me give you a little background on this text to put this into perspective for you. Okay? What we have here is Isaiah was a prophet of God. Now, just a few chapters prior to this, uh, in Isaiah 6, we read that famous passage, remember, where he has this amazing encounter with God, and he actually sees God lifted up on the throne, and he comes into the throne room of God, and he sees God for who he is. He saw him in his glory. Now, during the time that Isaiah was living, God gave Isaiah a very specific message to proclaim. And God never promised Isaiah that his ministry that he was going to be doing was going to be easy. In fact, God told Isaiah that the people of Judah, these are the people that would be proclaiming his message to, would refuse to listen to him and would even reject his message. What was Isaiah's response to all this? Well, he faithfully proclaimed God's word to a much-needed time. One thing that I like about God's word is it never paints the people that we read about as some super spiritual people. Rather, you know what it does? It shows us their faults and shortcomings. Isaiah was just like every other human. When difficult times came, I believe he was tempted to fear, and that's what we find happening here in Isaiah chapter number 8. Now, this is what was going on when Isaiah 8 was written. Israel had became divided. It was a divided nation. You had Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And then you had Israel, was the northern kingdom. So it was a divided kingdom. You can read all about that uh, if you go through uh, the book of uh, 2 Kings and you read about it in Chronicles. Um, but they were, uh, they were divided. Uh, you had different kings ruling uh, in these different areas. Uh, in, in, re in reality, what was going on, it was like a civil war. And Judah was at war at this time. They were weak. They were insignificant. Israel, the northern kingdom, was set on destroying Judah. In fact, uh, Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 1, if you want to look there with me, it gives you some insight to what was going on. Look at what it says here. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, so here's, uh, here's uh, uh, the king here, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remelah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So you have, you have these two kingdoms. You have the uh, uh, northern kingdom, 
Then you have the southern kingdom, this divided kingdom. And you have uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, coming up against the southern kingdom, Judah, to wage war against it. So Israel was really set on trying to defeat Judah. That what they ended up doing is they even made a pact. They made an agreement with another powerful nation, the Arameans to fight against Judah. So think about this. So here you are, Judah, right? This small, uh, insignificant kingdom. And you have Israel, the northern kingdom, coming against you. These are your own people. (laughs) These are people that you know. It's a civil war. They're coming up against you, and they're going to try to destroy you. And so what they start doing is they even go out and they find other people to recruit with them. And they say, hey, come on over here. Let's destroy this kingdom. Listen to Isaiah 7, 2. And just try to picture what the people of Judah were thinking at this time. They were terrified. Listen, listen to Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse number 2. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You know, a few days ago, um, I was uh, here in our uh, our little family room here that we have, and uh, we have a, a deck here off, off of our house, and uh, we got some sliding glass windows here. And in our backyard, there's some large trees, I mean, towering trees uh, in, a, in a little woods, woods area. And the wind was blowing something fierce. And you should have seen those trees just swaying back and forth. And I can think of this as here's the people of Judah. And it says here, it says the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The people were scared. The people were terrified. Now, Isaiah at this time, guess where Isaiah was living? Isaiah was living in Judah. And believe it or not, he actually had it worse than the people of Judah. You say, well, how how do you say that? Well, remember, Isaiah was a prophet. And God told him that Judah was going to be defeated. The people of Judah certainly didn't know whether or not that they were going to win or lose. But Isaiah did. Because God tells him and he says, look, hey, Judah is going to be defeated. I want you to go tell these people that Judah is going to be defeated. Isaiah is living there, and he has to now go to his own people that he's living with and stand up and proclaim and say, Hey, guys, uh, I'm your prophet, and guess what? We're going to be defeated. Doesn't sound like a really nice message to be proclaiming, does it? The people are afraid, the people are terrified, and now here comes the prophet and says, Up, oh, guess what, guys? You are going to be defeated. But what's interesting about this is it wasn't going to be the northern kingdom, Israel. It wasn't going to be the other nation that Israel hooked up with to defeat Judah that was going to defeat them. 
In fact, it was going to be the very nation that Judah turned to for help, which was Assyria. Judah had actually put their trust more in a pagan nation rather than God for help. Listen to what God tells Isaiah about how Judah will be humiliated. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 20. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river. With the king of Assyria, the head and the hair on the, of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Isaiah the prophet. This is what God tells him is going to happen to the nation of Judah. And this is what he is supposed to proclaim. I'm sure when Isaiah stood up to proclaim, hey, guys, guess what? Uh, we're going to be defeated. But, but hey, hey, hey I, I, know that's, I know that's tough news to hear, but I, it gets, really gets a little bit worse. You guys remember Assyria? Do you remember those, the, the, the nation that you wrote to and you sent ambassadors to and told them and said, hey, can you come over here and help us, that pagan nation? Guess what? Uh, God is actually going to use them to destroy you. Now, think about that. He tells them that they are going to be destroyed. I think Isaiah would have been tempted to be afraid. Remember, he lived in Judah. He would be right in the thick of all the devastation. He would be at the epicenter. He had family. This was his home that he was prophesying against. And as a result, he was tempted to respond just like everyone else. He was becoming afraid. But God steps in. He knew Isaiah was afraid. He knew his circumstances. So God gives some special instruction to Isaiah to actually help him during this time of actually being tempted to fear. This is where we pick up our text. Listen again to Isaiah 8.11. So now that you know the background here, what's going on, Isaiah 8.11 and the other verses that we were just read actually pull this together. Listen to Isaiah 8.11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me, not to walk in the way of this people. The word warned here has some very specific meaning. Now, your translation might read with the word uh, instead, probably with instructed or taught, okay? It means to be corrected or disciplined for the purpose of education. So even Isaiah 
here had to be educated on how to respond in fearful times. So here is what God was saying to Isaiah. And and from this, I I think we can learn and be instructed as well. So here are the ways that we can wrongly handle fear. So when fear comes, the ways that that we can handle it wrongly, okay, we're going to see here in the text. So there are ways that we can respond to fear in the wrong way. So here's what God tells Isaiah. Number one, don't respond like the world does. Look here again in verse number 11. He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me, teaching me, correcting me, uh, disciplining me for education purposes. He says, "I'm, I'm teaching you. I'm warning you not to walk in the way of this people. So when trouble comes, if you are a believer in Christ, we should not respond like how everyone else is responding. Don't walk in the way like these people. We shouldn't respond like they do. God told Isaiah not to walk in the way of this people. You know, the world always reacts to fear one way. And he says, Isaiah, you are to react differently. Don't respond like everyone else. One thing that I found so disheartening is the lack of faith in God that myself and other Christians are showing even during a time like this. You know, we sing about how much we want to serve Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. We hear sermons after sermons about how much we need to trust Jesus. And now when our faith is called into action, we find ourselves acting like everyone else. You know, this pandemic really has revealed the heart of the church. And what has it revealed? It's revealed they were acting like everybody else. They were weak. They were fearful. I like to remind myself about there in uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, there in Revelation, God gives warning uh, to the church. And uh, they... (laughs) Basically, the church is saying like, hey, look, um, look at us. Look, look what we're doing. Um, look what he says here in uh, Revelation chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing really that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Think about that. We are weak and we are fearful. So we should not respond like the world does. Secondly, don't compromise. Don't compromise. Look at verse number 12. 
Look what he says here in Isaiah chapter set, or Isaiah chapter number eight, verse number twelve. He says here, "Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear." So do not call conspiracy. God exhorted Isaiah not to compromise. The word conspiracy here is the same word that we would use as an alliance. If you read uh, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, you're going to see the king of Judah, Ahaz, making an alliance with the Assyrian king, that very nation that God was going to bring in now to destroy them. They, he made a, in a, a, uh, an alliance to protect them from Israel. So when trouble came, instead of looking to God, he looked to man for help rather than God. Can I tell you that God hates that kind of response when his people trust more in man than him? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 5 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. God was saying to Isaiah, Don't act like everyone else and look for an alliance. Don't encourage this sort of behavior. What would God be saying to us today? Don't agree with everyone else what the government says, what the media says, what social media says. Stop looking to man for answers and help when you should be looking to me. Don't compromise by responding to fearful times just like the world who look to the creature for strength rather than the creator. I think we all do this, don't we? When times get difficult, we put our confidence in anyone and everyone except God, myself included. But God says, don't do that. He wants us to trust in him and anything that is not a faith is sin. Let me read to you again, Jeremiah 17, verse number five. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. But now listen to verse number seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Now remember, this was God's exhortation to Isaiah not to fear. He was to proclaim this message that Judah was going to be destroyed by the very people they were putting their trust in. Not a popular message, folks. You could only imagine the nation's response to this. Couldn't you? Can't you hear them? What are you talking about, Isaiah? We're, we're looking to Assyria for help. They're going to come. They've promised they're going to come over here and they're going to help us. They're going to protect us. And Isaiah says, nope, it's not going to happen, guys. Assyria is going to come over here and they're going to humiliate you. They're going to 
take you captive. They're going to destroy you. And in fact, that is exactly what ended up happening. Can you imagine what they're saying to Isaiah? You're betraying us. You're betraying your own country. You're telling us to turn to God rather than the Assyrians for help? Sounds good, but that's not going to work. In these times and fear and difficulty, we need to remember God's word. He tells us what? Not to fear. We shouldn't respond like the rest of the world. We should stand strong. We should not compromise. Thirdly, look at this other thing here that God tells Isaiah. Thirdly, don't fear what others fear. Look again at verse number 12 here in our text in Isaiah 8. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Do not fear what others fear. You know, the world is in chaos, but we should remain calm. From a human perspective, uh, the people living in Judah really had a lot to be afraid of. Think about this. They were at war. They were going to be destroyed. They were in the midst of a national crisis. They were looking death and destruction in the eye and they were scared. Does that sound familiar? What is God's response to all of this? I know the people are afraid of this, but you shouldn't be. Don't fear what they fear. Don't do it, Isaiah. Don't fear. You should be completely different from the world. They are afraid of this great enemy. You shouldn't be. They are afraid of death. You shouldn't be. They are afraid of destruction. You shouldn't be. Don't fear the things they fear. I believe as Christians, we should live our lives in such a way that we are able to have faith and courage in the midst of life's most difficult situations. That's not optional to live that way. It's biblical. You know, we read about all the, the, uh, the people in God's word. You, you read through uh, the book of Hebrews and you see all those people that stood by faith. How did they do that? How did, how did Daniel, how was Daniel able to do what he did? And continue to stand for God. How did he do that? By faith. He trusted in God. He wasn't going to be fearful. How were all the, the, the people that you read about through church history uh, in, the, in the book of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs? And you see, you see these people who were persecuted. How did they do that? How did they stand? Were they some super spiritual Christians? No. They had faith in God. They were not reacting the way the rest of the world reacts. And so as Christians, we should live our lives in such a way that we are able to have faith and courage in the midst of life's most difficult situations. Our response to the troubling circumstances of life should be completely different that the world has around us. The world responds to difficulties by doing what? By crumbling and panicking. Have you been to Walmart lately? Have you been to Meijer lately? Have you been to any grocery store lately? 
Have you seen how people are panicking? How should Christians respond? We should respond in such a way that we have faith and courage, even in the midst of those most difficult situations. We should respond by standing strong and have a life of calmness and joy in the midst of these trials and difficulties. Now you might be thinking, well, hey, how, how do I know if I'm fearing man, if I'm trusting in man, if I'm, if, if I'm not having my trust in God? How, how do I know that if, if that's really uh, what, what is happening here? Well, Matthew chapter number 6 actually gives us some insight to this. Uh, Matthew chapter number 6 and uh, verse number 19 actually tells us a little bit of, of how we can actually know if, if our trust is more in things or in man more than it is in God. Uh, Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 19, Jesus is talking here, and he, the context here is he's talking about prayer, and he's talking about um, things about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, And the context here is about money. But listen to what he says here, and there's a principle that we can pull from this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And he says this, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now here's the, here it is. Here's the key. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And in this context, he's talking about money. But the principle here is the fact that you cannot have two masters in your life. Whatever it is, whether it's money, whether it's materialism, uh, whatever, uh, maybe some type of sinful habit, Jesus says here that you cannot serve both masters. You cannot serve God and you fill in the blank. Okay? He says you will either cling to the one and despise the other, or you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. You cannot serve God and you fill in the blank. So how do we know if we're trusting in other things other than God? Well, do you cling to those things more than you do God? Do you trust in those things more than you do God when there is times of difficulty and there's times of calamity that comes into your life? Do you run to those things as securities more than you do God? Well, then we would be guilty of doing exactly what Jesus says here, that we are clinging to the one and despising the other. We are loving the one and we are hating the other. So Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Well, let's see what God says on how we should handle fear. Okay? 
So here's the second thing. Number two, handle fear then the biblical way. We don't want to handle it the wrong way. We want to handle it the biblical way. So how are we going to do that? Let's take a look at our text here again in Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 13. Here's how we are to handle fear the biblical way. Look what he says. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. So number one, give God the right place in your heart. Can I ask you, what are you trusting in during the times of fear? Just think about it. What do I trust in more during times of fear? Look at the verse again. Look at this phrase. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. That phrase, him you shall honor as holy. When we talk about the word holy, uh, we can really make two applications for it. Uh, one, the word holy means to have a great respect or reverence for. Like, God is holy, so we should have respect and reverence. That's what uh, Jesus taught in his prayer. Uh, hallowed, holy, hallowed be your name. Okay? So there should be a, a respect and there should be a reverence for that. And when troubling times come, I think many times we forget to give God the honor that he deserves. The other way the term holy is used means to sanctify or set apart. Uh, we were actually spending uh, some time and actually looking at that whole aspect of, of being sanctified, right? The growth in Christ being set apart for God's use. So when we talk about holy here, it means to be sanctified or set apart. And so when we sanctify something or someone, we're placing it in a unique position. To sanctify God is to give him an absolutely unique position in our heart and life. Oftentimes, uh, we think that God is just like us. We don't give him the position that is rightfully due to him. I believe that is why we become afraid, because we think that God is just like us, and he could in no way ever be in control of the situation. You say, Oh, come on, Mike. That, there's no way that we ever think that God is just like us. Yes, we do. Let me give you some biblical evidence for that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 29. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. The people were actually guilty of doing just that, treating God as if he's just like them. Listen to Isaiah 29, verse number 15 and 16. God is speaking here and he says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me. 
or the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. You see, when we think of God is just like us, we are not making him holy. We are not setting him apart when we treat him like he is just another creature. We are not honoring him as holy when we think he is just like us. And sometimes we say things like this. We think it maybe in our heart. There's no way that God could ever understand this. Whoa, whoa, what are we doing? We are actually putting God in a position and saying, oh, he's just like us. The potter, oh, he's just like us. He's just like the clay. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what's going on. And many times we're, we're guilty of that. So to sanctify God means to set him apart in your heart from absolutely everything and everyone else. It means that you are no longer going to think and act as though God is ordinary just like everybody else. Instead, what we will do, we will purposefully exalt him to the place in our lives that no one else had and no one else deserves. You see, we make God holy in our heart when we stand in awe of him. When we give him glory, when we worship him as the creator and understand that he is the potter and we are the clay. Think about this as we are so weak in our faith and fearful because we really don't understand who God is. Because we don't know, because we don't understand who he is, it puts us in a position of being fearful, being weak, because we don't know God. We don't know him as we should. We don't see him as we should. He's just somebody kind of far off in the distance over there. Oh, we sing about him. Oh, we, we praise him. But we really don't know him like we should. Notice the phrase God here uses to remind Isaiah of who he is. Look back in our text here in uh, Isaiah chapter number 8. Look at verse number 13. God actually uses a phrase to remind Isaiah of who he is. Look what he says. But the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. He says, I am the Lord of hosts. What is that? Literally, the Lord of armies. We sing that song, you know, you're the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. God was reminding Isaiah that he alone is the ruler over every power in the universe. He alone is the commander in chief. Instead of fearing the Assyrian army, God was saying you should be fearing the true ruler, the Lord of hosts. You see, God is not small. God is not weak. He's the great ruler of the universe and does whatever he pleases. And so in times of trouble, stop focusing on your circumstances and start focusing on the one who rules over your circumstances. So how are we to handle fear in a biblical way? Well, number one, we should be giving God the right place in our heart. And secondly, look at this. Fear God. Fear God. Take a look here again at our text here in Isaiah 8, 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. 
Now here it is. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. What is God saying here? Well, God is not asking us to be fearless. You remember remember uh, back, uh, I forget how many years ago, but people used to walk around uh, with, with shirts that said, no fear, right? Or bumper stickers, no fear. Well, yeah, we, we shouldn't be fearful, but uh, there is a biblical fear that we should be having, and that is we should be fearing God. And so... Don't fear man, don't fear circumstances, don't fear situations, but instead you should be fearing the Creator. Let Him be your fear. And so when we look at these people in the Bible and throughout history of the church, we're amazed by how courageous they were. But they weren't courageous because they were fearless. It was because they were full of the right kind of fear. So in reality... When we fear our circumstances, situations, when we fear others, when we're really not fearing God because we're, we're just not. Now, let's, let's look at this last part of this passage, verse 14. God, God tells Isaiah a very encouraging message, and, and I love this. Because what we're going to do is we're going to put verses 13 and 14 together here. We're going to continue the thought. And he basically is going to tell Isaiah something that is really going to give him some encouragement, okay? So let's read here, um, Isaiah 13 and 14 here together, okay? But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he's basically telling Isaiah, Isaiah, if you are fearing me, he, God, will become a sanctuary. This is really awesome and encouraging, and and I don't want you to miss this. Look at the text again, especially verses 13 and 14, okay? He says in verse 13, the Lord of hosts, this is, this is one of his names, okay? He says, I am the Lord of hosts. This is who I am. He says, I am set apart, okay? And in verse 14, he says, he will become your sanctuary, sanctuary, sanctified. He will set you apart. So let's put it together here. If you set apart God as holy in your life, then he will become your holy place. Isn't that awesome? Let me say it again. If you set apart God as holy in your life, okay, you're trusting in him, you're depending upon him, Your trust is in him. Your confidence is in him. It's not in everything else. It's not reacting like the world is reacting. If you set apart God as holy in your life, he will become your holy place. What do you have to fear when God is your holy place? 
The word sanctuary refers really to a special place where God dwells. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's often used to describe the temple. Here in Isaiah, it was used to encourage Isaiah in a time of fear to show how God chooses to dwell with a protected, to, to really to dwell with and to protect a person who places their trust in him alone. Isn't that awesome? So he's telling Isaiah here, if you fear me, if you depend upon me in times of trouble, then I will dwell in a very special way with you. I will be your safe place. I will be your refuge. So don't turn to man for safety. Fear me and I will protect you. So have you found yourself being afraid this past day, week, month? Can I tell you, turn to God. Don't allow the fear to cloud your thinking. And really, stop watching the news. Stop scrolling through social media and seeing all the hype and all the fear. Just stop. Just stop. Just stop with all that fear. Okay? Get alone with God. That's, that's really what, what Isaiah was told here. Let God become your sanctuary. Let him become your dwelling place. Fear him instead. Get your thoughts back on who God is. Remember a few of his promises. Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If God is our refuge, what are we afraid of? How about Psalm 46? We actually looked at this passage a couple weeks ago. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. How about Romans 8? Specifically, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, don't be afraid of these circumstances. But let's make sure our trust and fear is in God and not in anything else, not in man. Okay, Let's put our trust and our fear in God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for what you speak to us and how you speak to us. Thank you for these encouraging words uh, in the book of Isaiah. I thank you that... Um, you really are who you say that you are. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the God that we should be trusting in. And God, even in a time of, of uncertainty and fear and these circumstances, uh, we're, we're actually placed in a, in, a, in a great opportune time to actually live out what we believe. And uh, this is a, a time to really stay to stand up and say, I believe the Bible. I believe God. I believe what he says. I'm going to live according to the way that he has told me to say, to live. And so I pray, Father, that you help us, help us as a church to live uh, without fear of circumstances and situations, but that our, that our fear and our trust will be in you and not in man, not in circumstances. 
God, we're so grateful for everything that you do for us. You sustain us. You provide for us. And even though these times might be getting very hard and difficult, uh, you remind us again and again and again, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so, Father, if we are your children, uh, you have promised us that, one, <laughs> let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me, is what your son said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. And Father, you promise that you are coming back. You promise that you will be with us even unto the end of the age. And so what do we have to fear? Nothing. And so I pray that our trust and dependence will be upon you. I pray that you bless the people of uh, the church and bless their lives. Help them, uh, any of them that are struggling with anything. And I pray that they'll find uh, sustaining power in, in who you are. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we ask all these things. Amen.